I mean, whew. oh, you, you wait. <laughs> it's going to be good morning. All right, let's, uh, let's start in the Gospel of Mark. Turn with me, if you will. We're going to go to Mark chapter 14. Mark 14 and from verse 32. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Our Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples. He found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Even Jesus, the Son of God, needed comfort. Even Jesus needed a friend to stand with him in his hour of emotional anguish. If the Son of God needed it, how much more will we need support in our dark times? It was never God's plan that we should journey this life alone. Genesis chapter 2 verse 18, God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a suitable helper for him. We like to talk about God, God being sufficient for us, God's presence being sufficient for us, that you know, that's all we need. That's not actually what God thought. He had Adam to himself alone in the garden. He looked at Adam and he said, it is not good. Everything else he had created, the earth, the trees, the oceans, the birds, the animals, these were all good. He looked at it and said, this is good. But he looked at Adam, and Adam wasn't good. Adam wasn't good because Adam was alone. Adam was incomplete because he was never supposed to be just one guy. It was supposed to be a community. So God makes a suitable helper for him. He makes Eve. And now Adam is good. We're not supposed to be alone. God determined that people need people, that we need community, and not just with him, but with others like ourselves, folk with skin on. So when Jesus, fully God but fully human, was overwhelmed with the emotion of his imminent fate and desperate need of a supportive friend, were his friends 
there for him. No, they weren't. They were sleeping. And the question for us this morning, are we sleeping too? Anecdotally, there is no doubt that there's a lot of sleepy people here. I fall asleep too. I hear stories all the time of people in this church, people connected with our community, who are going through tragedy, going through hard times, and they feel like they're alone. They feel like no one is standing with them. No one is supporting them. Maybe you feel that way here this morning. That is not the kind of church that God has destined us to be. The rock is called to be a community, knows God, loves others, and walks together along whatever path we may find ourselves on. Let's have another look at Mark chapter 14. You would have noticed that Jesus didn't take all of his friends, all of his followers with him in his hour of need into the garden. He didn't need all 12. He reached out to three, to his closest friends, to Peter and to James and to John. These were the guys that he took everywhere. The guys with whom he shared the glory of his transfiguration and the emotional pain of his impending execution. There are a few things that I take away from this story. Firstly, Jesus invited a small group of people into an intimate relationship with him. A small group that he would invest intensively into and a small group that he would lean on for support. Secondly, Jesus modeled vulnerability. When I think of Jesus, I like to think of him quite muscular on a white stallion with a large sword, my conquering hero returning. But that's not the Jesus who revealed himself in the Gospels. I believe that might be closer to his return. I'm not sure about his musculature though, but the way he actually portrayed himself was very human, fully human. And that doesn't mean that he just had skin and flesh and bone. It meant that he had frailty. And we see that in the garden. Crying, sweating, blood, such intense, intense anguish that his capillaries are bursting. How human is that? And I can connect with that humanity so much. In fact, I can connect to God better because of this. It doesn't make God weak to me. He's modeled the vulnerability that I need to have. Because we know that at any point he could have called down the armies of heaven and wiped out the planet. He didn't, though. He subjected himself to the humiliation, to the pain for us. 
But there was a cost for him. It was physical and it was emotional. But he didn't intend to walk it alone. He, he had this group of men that he'd been investing in for the last three years, sowing into them love, that maybe they might reflect that love back to him. Because the church he was looking to build would be built on love. Sadly for him, they weren't there for him. Are we going to be there for each other now? Lastly, Jesus' closest friends weren't there for him when they needed him. They hadn't yet grasped what true community was. They hadn't quite got what it was to follow Jesus. They liked this thing about traveling from town to town, healing, casting out demons, preaching the kingdom of God. But that's not what it's about. The real heart of it, the heart of the kingdom, is love. Jesus himself said, you know, you, you can be healing and casting out demons, but I'll say to you, flee from me. I never knew you. Go out to the outer darkness. It's not the ministry that matters. It's the love that we have for people. We're ministering without love. We have nothing. We've accomplished nothing. Jesus didn't even ask that much of his friends. He simply asked them to stay awake and to pray. He needed them to be emotionally present and spiritually supportive. And they couldn't even give him that, even though he asked them three times. Despite their obvious failure, it is still important to note that in his hour of need, Jesus turned to his friends, not to religious leaders to stand with him. But for some reason, in the church now, we have this idea that the responsibility for caring for people is on the leaders. It's on the paid staff. Maybe the elders. It's their job. The job title pastor is often a misleading one that can be quite unhelpful in the church. It can lead some people to develop the misconception that it's the professional pastor's job to take care of everyone, not the lay believers in the church community. The job title on my contract used to read pastor, which is the Latin word for shepherd. But my job description had and has Nothing to do with that. I'm not paid to care for anyone. Well, not in the kind of care meal, visit you in hospital, counselling, give you a hug kind of way. I'm not paid to do any of that. But I am made to. We all are. Our twofold purpose on this planet is to love God and to love others. And so though it is not my contractual responsibility to care for you, it is my responsibility as a follower of Jesus and an active participant in his kingdom. 
What we need to reject as a community is this ill-conceived pastoral care paradigm where it's only people with a job description or a position that actually care for and love others. This idea that I don't have to worry about it because don't my tithes pay for someone to do this? They really don't. It wasn't the priests or prophets that comforted Saul through his spiritual oppression. It was a young man with a harp and a song. It wasn't the Levites that supported Ruth through the loss of her husband or who cared for the elderly Naomi. They cared for each other. Loving people is not the exclusive purview of church staff or the elders or life group leaders. It's a responsibility we all share. Church, as you know, is not something we attend. It's not something that happens to us. It is us. A loving church is a community of people loving each other and loving the world around them. But for God's love, to abound among us, there are two truths that we need to surrender to. The first is that God wants to love people through us. And the other is that God wants to love us through other people. That means we have to learn to both give and receive And most of us aren't that good at one or other of those. Let me explain. For many of us, giving can be difficult. Giving requires letting go. It requires sacrifice. It requires denying ourselves for the benefit of others. Uh, And that's hard because by nature, uh, we are inherently selfish. Some of us, like me, more than others. We can't help ourselves. We're the the center of our own universe. Unless, of course, we choose to put others, to put God in the center and let him determine what we do. To be an instrument of God's love in other people's lives, we must get over ourselves and learn to put others first, whether we feel like it or not. You see, the... True agape love is not bound to the whims of feelings. That night in the garden, do you think Jesus felt like being whipped almost to death and then nailed on a cross? Do you think he felt like doing that tomorrow? He cried out to his father, begging him for another way. He didn't want to do it, but his love for his father and his love for us was greater than his feelings and his fear, and that's what conquered there. He didn't love because he felt like it. He loved because he is love, and that love wells up out of him. And that same love he has deposited in us so that we can love from him, not of ourselves. 
says in 1 John that we love because he first loved us. And it's that love that we need to tap into. It says in John 13, A new command I give to you, love one another. And as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Unfortunately, Jesus sets the bar pretty high in regards to how to love people. But, but he doesn't seem to ask us to go to an actual cross. But it is a whole lot of sacrifices along the way. What we need to have is the same attitude of him, being prepared to give what is needed. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each to the interests of others. There isn't really a switch that you can flick that instantly makes you more generous and selfish and kind. Well, I haven't found the switch, at least. But it is part of the fruit of a renewed mind and a transformed heart. So the more we can submit to the work of the Spirit in our lives, the more these fruit will grow in us. The more we truly know him, the more we will become like him. And that is the path that we are on. And so Paul prays in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12, May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. We need that prayer today. The first ingredient in a loving community is a heart that gives. The second, it turns out, is a heart that can receive. That one sounds like it should be easy, right? We like to get stuff. I certainly do. But not always. Not sure if you noticed, but Kiwis are proud. Men are proud. We're all proud to some degree. We don't like to admit weakness. The Kiwi, the Kiwi spirit is one of independence and self-sufficiency. Needing others seems weak. It's unmanly. It's unbecoming. Most of us don't like to admit that we're struggling. Maybe we don't want people to judge us or pity us or gossip about us. All of which happen in a dysfunctional church. And so we keep our pain, our struggle to ourselves. Our pride and our fear 
deny God the opportunity to love us and comfort us in our darkness. We are the body of Christ, which means we are his arms. We give his hugs. But pride prevents us from receiving those hugs and comfort. He longs to minister to us, but we don't let him. Do you have this idea that everything is going to happen supernaturally? That somehow you can pray yourself into a supernatural frenzy where God will do everything in your life directly? Is that what you think is supposed to happen? Because that is not the way he works most of the time. Yes, God can directly minister to you, and he does. But the way he's revealed his will and his work is that he works through his people. He works through the church, the body of Christ. That's why he has showered us with spiritual gifts, so that we can minister in his power according to his will. But to receive that ministry, we need to make ourselves vulnerable to others. That's the tough thing. If the kingdom of heaven could if the king of heaven could be vulnerable with the humble fishermen he called friends, why can't we? We have got to get over that. Reject the stifling elements of our repressive Kiwi culture, kill our pride, and let God love us through people. Men, Chuck Norris is in a life group. That's right, Chuck Norris is in a life group, studying the scriptures, making himself vulnerable to other men. Chuck can do life in a life group. Surely we can as well. I think Chuck must make life groups the most manly thing you could do. We need to redefine our broken image of masculinity, men. So that we can become the kind of man that Jesus was. Because that's funny. But Chuck Norris isn't my idea of what a man is. Not entirely. (laughs) Richie McCaw is not my image of an ideal man. Yeah, (laughs) maybe a combination. Bruce Willis, Chuck Norris, Richie McCaw. No, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. And he's a very different kind of man. He's nice and he, and he loves and he loves broken and hurting people. He's not running around caring what everyone else thinks of him. He's not staunching it out he's making himself vulnerable so people can connect with him and we don't tend to think of that as manly because we've 
got it all messed up. This means I need to open my life to a few trustworthy people who can journey with me through the struggle and darkness in my life. People who will be faithful to stand by me when things get tough. And that's hard for me because I'm not wired that way. And so I need a bit of rewiring. For me, that process has been a gradual one, pushing through my pride one day at a time and sharing a new piece of my inner self with a friend and sharing my struggles with a large room of people. This is making me progressively more vulnerable and authentic with others. And ultimately, it opens me up to receive more from God as he looks to administer his love through you, through his church. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, from verse 3, Praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. We need to share our suffering and our triumphs. We need to walk together. Two years ago, my best friend lost his battle with brain cancer, leaving behind a grieving widow and two small children. In my life group over the last two years, people have suffered deaths in the family, unemployment, financial hardship, miscarriage, chronic pain disorder, divorce, porn addiction, and a serious car accident. It's just my life group. That's just the stuff that I'm aware of. This is life. This is life. These are our lives. This is the stuff and so much more that we're dealing with. Are we doing it alone? If we are, that is certainly not what God intended for us. It reads in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9. Two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labor. If they fall down, they can help each other up. But pity those who fall and have no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. In First Peter 4, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 7 to 10, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. 1 John chapter 3 from verse 16. This is how we know what love is. 
Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. James chapter 2, verse 14 to 17. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one says, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. I've got pages of scriptures like that. The Bible's full of them. I don't know how the Lord could make it more clear. This is how he wants to care for us. This is God's will for his church, for us. This is what it means to walk together. And the rock needs to be a place where we walk together, no matter what. This needs to be the place where hurting people find comfort, where broken people find restoration, where sick people find healing, where lonely people find friendship, where marginalized people find community. This needs to be the place. God's house, the body of Christ, his people, his family. This needs to be the place. And it will be. When we learn to love as Christ loved us, we trade in our pride for authenticity and allow him to build his church. I want to invite Simon up now to share what that can look like for us. Spirit is here this morning. This has been a a journey over the last eight months, and I need to really thank you all for um, your patience and your love and your support, uh, especially that of my wife and Olive, um, my life group and those that I do discipleship with, to come to the point that we're at today. And it is the love of God that is within me that overflows for every one of you here today that leads to what we're going after. And um, I'm believing that we can all partner together in this, just as what Clay has spoken about. So today we launch an initiative that will help us to step into the biblical model of pastoral care, a model that empowers and mobilizes the body of Christ to take care of itself and the hurting world that is around us. This model for caring for each other's needs, we will call Arahanui. Big love, extravagant love for one another. The aim of this initiative is threefold. 
Firstly, to draw us closer in relationship to our amazing God as we pursue his love and the compassion for ourselves and those that are around us. Secondly, so that we would be drawn closer to one another in loving unity as we're bound together by Christ's love, ministering through us to each other. And then thirdly, that the practical and the emotional needs of our community would be met. Recognizing that people connected to this rock community, they live in all different parts of the Wellington region, from Island Bay to Upper Hutt to Pukarua Bay. We have been led to raise up individuals from our community here to coordinate a pastoral response to the practical and emotional needs that present themselves in our church families and also those that we're connected to. These pastoral care coordinators will take administrative responsibilities of a manageable area within the region. The role of the coordinators is uh, to be a communication and dispatch hub for the pastoral needs, be they physical needs such as care meals, uh, transport and financial support, um, to emotional needs which is like hospital visits and loneliness like Clay has spoken about, or spiritual needs requiring prayer support, wise counsel, deliverance, or a deeper connection to our spiritual family. Our coordinators will then facilitate the meeting of these needs through our network of life groups, support services that are outside of the rock, and a volunteer army made up of loving brothers and sisters here at the rock. Brothers and sisters like you and me. God's solution for the needs in this community is us loving each other. Do we think that we can do that? Awesome. Do you think that we can love each other? Come on. I believe that with God's help, anything is possible. Anything is possible. So as we join together as a community of people to support one another, being vulnerable in, in both giving and receiving that love, I believe we'll see a community that starts to look like that which we find in Acts 2, 44 to 47, where the believers were not in need because of the generosity that was produced by their brothers and sisters. What I'm believing for the future is this initiative of love will grow into something that we'll be able to take into our workplaces, to our schools, to our universities, and our antenatal groups, and our sports clubs, and all the points in which we connect with the broken and hurting world. This is so that we might take the love of Christ beyond our walls to a world that needs it just as much as we do. I'm expectant that there will be testimony from the love that is displayed throughout this community for one another and that the others that are looking from outside of the, the four walls are here will actually be looking at it and won't be able to miss it. And they'll want to experience that love for themselves. John 13, 34 to 35, a new command that I give to you today to love one another as I have loved you so that you must love one another by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Let's show them that love. Let's not hold on to it. Will you join me and our team of pastoral coordinators this year 
in loving one another so that everyone will know that we belong to him. As Clay just preached, pastoral care is a responsibility that we all share. And this initiative will equip us to carry the burden together. So we need you to stand in the gap with us. Those that volunteer to participate in this initiative will, will, will form a, a response team in each suburban area that the coordinators can call upon to help with to help meet the various needs that may all arise. These volunteers will be given an opportunity to help, and if they can, then great. If not, there will be others that may be able to as well. The coordinators will facilitate this process, and they'll enable us to spread the load around our life groups and our volunteers so that our needs are met without the burden, burden becoming too onerous. I'm going to ask the hospital team now if, um, if they can pass around the clipboards in which you can clearly scribe your name and your contact details, registering your interest in finding out more about this initiative, which I've just shared with you, and how you can also be involved. And if there is a particular area of, of service where you're equipped or you have the passion uh, to serve in, whether that be baking where, whether that's preparing meals, prayer support, transport, please note that in the very last column that we have. And the beautiful thing is that I've already seen that in action this morning. We had somebody who put a request up on Facebook needing their kids to be dropped in this morning. And that was fulfilled. And I'm so delighted that was fulfilled because what you don't realize is behind the scenes there was six other children who are here today hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ and had the opportunity to receive the love of him. So you never know with whatever you help, whatever you support somebody in, could be that very door that you open up to allow someone to receive him for the very first time. Let us be a people of generosity this year to see his kingdom grow.